Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Grant, and I have a confession to make. I'm on steroids. No, seriously, I really am on steroids. Um, I've got this condition that's going on. I've got this ringing in my ears that won't go away. And so they put me on this corticosteroid called prednisone. Some of you, have, I get that reaction every time. It's like, whoa. So I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I have slept less than 10 hours in the last seven days. I'm completely and totally juiced. I feel like hugging every one of you and putting small children's toys in a blender at the same time. It's just, I'm completely undone, um, having a hard time remembering things. So if I tell the same story twice, you're going to be good with that. And I'm just going to warn you on the front end. They told me that these pills could make me really, really cranky. So if your cell phone goes off in the middle of this service, I will not be held responsible for my response. I might come and get it and put it in the blender. All right. That's just going to be the deal. You may want to check that just so we're good. This could go either way. So I'm scared. You pray. All right. That's how it's going to work. This little silver chain caused an immense amount of pain in my life and in the life of a woman that I love very, very deeply. I actually found this chain on my, the floor of my high school hallway. Started wearing it when I was a high school senior and for some reason came up with some crazy story that was attached to it. I would actually take this chain and I would give it to girls that I was dating and I would say to them that this was a family heirloom and that I was only ever I know, it's going to get worse, just hold on, right? And I would give it to them and I would say something like, you know, I really think I was supposed to give this to the most special girl, maybe even the one that I was going to marry. Now, just for the record, that's bad, right? Don't do that, okay? But I started doing this and the problem was is that I, I had multiple people that I actually used the same line and the same deal with over and over and over again. And then I got to college and I actually met the girl of my dreams And I gave her the same chain with the same story. Why are you laughing? (laughs) It's my pain, right? Absolute pain. Well, so Laurel and I are are dating and, and we're actually being fairly serious. We have an exclusive dating relationship and she goes away on a trip. She and some girlfriends go away. And, uh, and while she was gone, I decided to connect with an old girlfriend. I actually dated somebody behind my future wife's back. I actually cheated on her. I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking, what a jerk. (laughs) I probably should have brought my own sign and that's cool. Um, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm on roids and he brought me a jerk sign. (laughs) Anybody want to lead worship in the 1130 service? That'll be good. Ah, yes. Okay, where were we? Oh, yeah, me cheating. Ah, that's good. All right. When Laurel got back from the trip, I I lied to her about what had happened while she was gone. I thought I was in the clear because the young lady that I had dated while Laurel was gone was going to be not coming back the next semester of school, and so that I was free and clear. And then one day she came back to campus. I remember the response of my roommate. He was hunting all over the campus trying to let me know that I was in deep, 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 deep trouble. And I finally tried to get, what I did is I tried to get to Laurel before this other girl could get to her and expose me for the fraud that I was. I walked into a small dining room at, uh, on the campus of Briarcrest Bible College and Laurel was sitting there 
with the chain dangling off of her finger. And when I walked in, I tried to make some very feeble excuses. I tried to use some verbal skills to try and explain away the whole situation. And then I realized I really only had one option. Complete, total, and absolute confession. So I told her everything. I told her that a lot of the special moments that we'd had, I'd shared with people before. I told her that I'd lied to her multiple times. And when she walked out of the door of that particular place, I remember thinking that I had just screwed up the best thing that had ever happened to me. Welcome to Confessions. The joy and the pain of coming clean. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to enter into an unbelievably intense time. It's going to be intense because we're actually going to do the best we can to get very, very honest with God about the condition of our own souls. I'm going to share with you some of the best and worst moments of my life. My story's not done with her walking out, so I hope you'll stick with me for about the next 27 minutes. We're going to look for the next four weeks at a biblical theology of confession. We're going to ask some questions. We're going to ask, why does God ask us to confess? I mean, he already knows everything, right? We're going to ask, what are the emotional and spiritual benefits to come and clean? We're going to ask, why does God ask us to go one step beyond just confessing stuff to him? Why do we got to bring somebody else into the situation as well? This weekend, we're just going to scratch the surface. We're just going to start with the basics. When I say the word confession, people get different ideas in their mind. Some of us think about a public figure who just got caught in a scandal and they're standing at a podium stuttering and stammering, trying to put the pieces back together again of their broken character. Some of us picture Jack Bauer beating somebody to a pulp trying to get a confession out of them in a room kind of like we constructed behind me. If that was your first thought when I said confession, you need therapy and we can help you, all right, just so we're clear. Some of us picture a skilled attorney talking somebody into to telling the truth and what really happened. Depending on your background, confession, when I say it, you might think of a small room that you would walk into and on the other side of a barrier, another human being would listen to you pour out your heart and your sins. Some of you think more of an academic exercise that you do and, and, and you show up at night and you got to square things up with God. So God, I'm sorry for this attitude and this thing. And when I cursed at that BC driver and when I did this and when I did that. Ah, some of you have something to talk to God about, huh? That's cool. Whatever your picture, here's what God says about confession. First John chapter one. This is the anchor text for the next four weeks. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is a blunt passage. It tells the truth about the condition of all of our souls, the condition that we all share in common this morning. Before we can even get a word in edgewise, Jesus says, here's the truth about you. 
I listed some of the biblical truths that we come out of this, and it really forms a foundation for the journey we're going to take over the next couple of weeks. Truth number one is this. God wants us to step out of our darkness into his light. The first verse said, God is light in whom there is no darkness at all. I've learned something about my secrets. My secrets love to live back in the darkness. My my secrets love to thrive and grow and, and make noise and manifest themselves back in the shadows. They don't like God's light. And the truth is we get a little freaked out when we hear that God is light. The reason it freaks us out is because with light comes exposure. This was not a fun moment for me sitting back here telling you about one of the most heartbreaking moments of my life. And you think it was hard at the 10 o'clock? You should have been here last night when I did it with my two children and my parents sitting in the second row. That was tough. We're afraid of being exposed, exposed for being a fraud, exposed for being way more secure than we actually appear, exposed for being an absolutely broken person in a world that gives points for those that are all together. I think it's one of the reasons why people shy away from a deep relationship with God. It's because he brings light and exposure into those dark, hidden corners of our lives. Those of you that have done recovery have heard this tiny little phrase before. You're only as sick as your secrets. And we don't like it when God shines his light into a dark corner that we just wish he would just leave it alone. I don't want to go back there. Second biblical truth out of verse 6 is that God doesn't do gray. Verse 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, but walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but God is very black and white when it comes to sin. We as human beings, as a human race, have done an amazing job of trying to create as kind of a sliding moral scale. And we've taken that and we've assigned it to God. We love to paint certain actions worse than other actions. That's why we find ourselves saying, you know, oh yeah, it's true. I got to struggle with lying, but at least I'm not a gossip. We say, you know, I enjoy assassinating people in my mind in my office every week, but at least I've never actually killed somebody. We say things like, you know, I know I'm a jerk, but at least I'm not a jerk like that guy. Because that guy is in a class all by himself. We love the gray. You know why I know we love the gray? It's because we like renaming things. We don't call it fornication and adultery. We call it a one-night stand, a temporary fling, something that just kind of happened. And then we wonder why we get so jaded. We love the gray because it allows us to get close enough to the light to enjoy God's presence when, it, when it's convenient, but it also allows us to stay just far enough away from God's perfection that we don't get burned too bad when the light gets turned on. Just so we're perfectly clear about our convictions here at Christ the King, God does not have a sliding moral scale. God does not grade sin on a curve. Being good is not good enough. God does not do fences, half-baked convictions, or relationships of convenience. Just so we're perfectly clear, he is black and he is white. This is the enemy, that's Jesus. This is sin, over here we call it freedom. Here's the next one. It's that God's purity has a ripple effect within his family. Verse 7 is fascinating. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Something happens. When we come clean with God, there's a ripple effect within the family. When we get honest with God, the family actually wins. You know, somebody said to me, they said, Grant, why are we doing like a series on confessions? You're like standing up there every single weekend telling us when you got it wrong, when you got it right, and it's more wrong than right. I mean, why do we need something special in this whole area? Can I tell you why I do that? 
I don't do it because I'm a masochist, all right? Even though some people might question that. I do it because we don't do the great man of God theory here at Christ the King. The only difference between pastors and people at CTK is a microphone. It's it. Some people are often surprised about this. They think that because you're a pastor, that somehow you're in some kind of a different spiritual category. That is just so unbelievably wrong. They think that I've got a bat phone to heaven in my office. I can tile up Jesus whenever I want to. They think that every time I open my Bible, that angel dust falls from the sky. A light shows up. A very pretty lady steps into the room and says, God loves you. I'm going to download your sermon to you now. Like, <laughs> not on my watch, all right? You know, just weird. I try to keep really short accounts and be the one to stand up and say, if anybody needs to confess in this room, it's me. It's, I do it because my prayer is that you'll take me by the hand and take a step over that line. Come and join me. The other truth here is that God wants us to tell the truth about ourselves. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I found a great quote the other day. I didn't like the truth that it contained because it told the truth about me, but it was true nonetheless. Cindy Calaguire said this, you will never experience wholeness beyond your willingness to face the truth about yourself and expose it. Can I tell you who this series is going to be the toughest on? Nice church people. It's going to be the toughest on you because nice church people, in my experience, have spent an entire lifetime convincing themselves that they are just fine. They have no reason to confess anything because them and Jesus are actually pretty good. This is actually going to be harder on you because you've been lying to yourself longer than other people in the room. <laughs> You're welcome. Right? You know, I believe that one of the greatest inhibitors to spiritual growth is the denial of the true condition of our soul. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. I believe an absence of confession is one of the greatest inhibitors to so many people's spiritual growth. A lack of confession is the lid that gets put on top of the jar of our spiritual growth and we just can't figure out why we can't break through some of those old, some of those old ideas. The problem is this. We've exchanged the theology of confession that Jesus gave us for Britney Spears' theology, which just says, oops, did it again. And then we wonder why we get stuck in the sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent cycle. So let's get really practical. What is confession and what does it include? What's it actually supposed to go on? Point number one in that little section is this. Confession includes an acknowledgement of the wrong that was done. Confession is not a nice flowery Christian prayer. It's not religious excuses. It's not something you do to impress God or to try and impress other people around you. No, true confession is naming sin. It's calling it what it is in your own life. Envy, hatred, lust, deceit, adultery, whatever it happens to be. Confession simply means that we're going to be honest with ourselves and God. And if other people are involved, that we're going to be honest with them too. And it's so much more than just admitting sin. I mean, honestly, admitting sin is the easy part. It means we're going to judge sin. We're going to face it squarely. Confession says there's a line that God drew and I willfully and sinfully just walked right through it because I think I'm smarter than God. It's confession. 
So it's a straight out acknowledgement. Secondly, it's a pronouncement of personal ownership. The word confession, if you break it apart, if you get into the etymology and all that other kind of stuff, it literally means to say the same thing about sin that God does. It means we're going to get into agreement with God about what is right and what is wrong with our lives. So let me tell you what confession is not based on that. Confession is not saying, yeah, 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 I thought a really bad thing about my wife, but the truth is this. When I came through the door, she didn't meet me the way I should have been met as the leader of this family. She crossed me up with an attitude. She ticked me off. She made me angry. So I just let her have it. You know what? It's her fault. She needs to confess. It's not confession. Confession is, God, you told me to love my wife like you love the church. And I know that you died for the church. And this past week, I was selfish and I refused to die to my own wants. And when I was faced with my own sin, I chose to take it out on her and I was wrong. That's confession. Confession is, God, I hurt that person on purpose. It's, God, I told a lie. God, I overreacted. God, I made my husband a convenient target. God, I threatened my friend. God, I gossiped about my boss. God, I did the wrong thing. And in some cases, it's God, I didn't do the right thing that you told me to do. It's saying, God, I blew it. That's confession. It's personal. Now, here's the most unpopular part of confession. It's the part we don't like at all, but it's in there. It's a willingness to go public. Some of us just, really? Got to say it out loud? I mean, can't we just keep this between me and Jesus? I mean, that would have been, I, I, I only shared my story back here because there it is. You know, if you want a biblical answer to whether or not you can just keep it between you and Jesus, the answer is no. No, you can't. I googled anonymous confessions on my computer this past week. And you know what I found? There are 335,000, 335,000 opportunities for you to go online, admit or confess to something that you've done wrong. And on every single one of them, you don't have to sign your name. I think they missed out on James chapter 5, verse 16, which says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We're going to dive really deep into this one next week as we come through, but I want you to know we are not going to dance around the fact that God has asked us to take our confession with Him one step further into the life of another human being. You know, somebody once said, Confession's good for the soul. Have you ever heard that before? I think the person that wrote that was on the receiving end of somebody else's confession. Don't you think? You know? I don't think they were on the ugly side of confession, but I absolutely agree with their statement. So why is it good for the soul? Why is it that God would even put this in there? Why is this one of the disciplines that as his children, he actually calls us out to be a part of? Well, we find the answer. You see, we just read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. But there's another verse that comes after it. A famous verse, 1 John 1, 9, that says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
This is one of those verses in the Bible that I think, I think we probably are just way too familiar with. Kind of like John 3.16. We heard it so many times you can finish it without even thinking about it. It goes in one ear and out the other side. It's like a song that you've sung so many times that the words don't even make sense anymore. You just kind of sing them along to the radio because it's on. I find some incredible truth inside of this little verse, but I want us to notice something right from the get-go. It all hinges on two little letters right at the beginning of the sentence. If. If. God's not going to force you. God's not going to make you. It's an opportunity that he's laid out right in front of you. An opportunity to come clean. An opportunity to move beyond that little checklist and to move into an unbelievable unbelievable moment when God's grace can come in and we can change. I mean, it's just so much more than sitting there on the edge of your bed at night saying, okay, God, here's the deal. I got to kind of square things up. So uh, sorry for watching Desperate Housewives. And I'm sorry that I thought really bad things about Mike Holmgren when they lost again this afternoon. And, and that guy cut me off again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If we confess our sin. He is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you take this verse apart, I want to show you this morning what God's response is to genuine confession. And I'm going to tell you what my agenda is before we even get started on it. It's this. It's that you would look at his response and say, why wouldn't I want to do that? Why wouldn't I want to be clean in front of God this way? Here's God's response to genuine confession coming out of 1 John 1, 9. The first word is faithful. When we come clean before God, God's response is never, hey, thank you very much. Off you go. Don't stay away too long. Keep your nose clean and always remember, I'm watching you. That's not his response. Some of us think that when we come in front of a holy God and we've got sin in our lives and we lay it out there in front of him that somehow it's going to repulse him and he's going to take a step back and go, that's sick. Can I tell you what happens when you confess? God doesn't step away. He steps closer. He moves into that moment. He stands with us at the point of confession and then accompanies us to that next moment when we're going to be faced with the decision that either makes us or breaks us as believers, to sin or not to sin. That is the question. When we come and confess, he faithfully steps to us and then walks faithfully with us through temptation, through the pain and through the joy of coming clean. We have to get this down. We have to absolutely understand this, that God's response is one of faithfulness and not abandonment when we have the courage to act on the little word, if. Here's the second response. It's fair. Scripture uses the word just. It means that God looks at the heart and always judges fairly. Can I tell you something about your confession? He knows whether or not it's authentic or not. He knows whether or not you're just trying to get covered until the next time that this same sin comes around. He knows whether or not you're genuinely repentant. He knows whether or not that sin has actually grieved your soul to the point where you're trying to change the direction of your life. He is just and fair in those moments. You know, and there's a little piece of theology here that I think we forget sometimes. When God judges our sin, he doesn't judge it according to you. If you know Jesus, he judges it according 
to Jesus who was the atoning sacrifice and paid the price for all of that sin. This is what happens when I come with all of my brokenness and I come before God and I confess that I blew it, that I sinned, that I transgressed, that I did whatever it was that I did. When I do that and the holy, perfect gaze of God comes and looks at me and I know for a fact he could consume me because he's perfect and I'm not. In that moment, Jesus steps in front of me. He says, Dad, this one's with me. This one's covered. I paid the price for everything he's going to say. So you don't need to look at him. You just look at me. That's a miracle. Every single time. He judges my sin according to the perfection of his son. That's what, that's what brings the forgiveness. Which is the very next response. It's forgiveness. I mean, I don't know if you read that verse or not, but there's a promise in there. It doesn't say he's going to think about forgiving. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive. It doesn't say he might forgive. He's going to kind of sort of forgive. It says he will. My question is this. Have you claimed that promise? Do you understand what it means to literally come clean before God and have him purify you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet? That's the last part of his response. It's freedom. It says he will purify us from all unrighteousness. That means God promises to wash us clean. When we come in confession, he promises clean. When we confess, he promises covering. Covering. When Laurel walked out of our little confessional room that day, almost uh, 23 years ago. She took this little silver chain that I kind of keep around as a monument to my own stupidity. And she dropped it into my hand and she curled my fingers over it. And then she went and stood by the door. And she turned and looked at me and she said, I have every reason to hate you for what you've done. You lied to me. You broke my heart. You took advantage of our relationship. I should hate you. And then she said, but for some stupid reason, I actually still love you. I am a deeply blessed man. We broke up because it was the thing that needed to happen. And I went to work on me for months. I sat down with people that I loved and trusted and I allowed them to autopsy my soul. And it was not fun at all. I started having very long, hard conversations with Jesus about my sin and I started calling it what it was. It wasn't just being cocky, I was arrogant. It wasn't just thinking that I was okay. It was pride. It wasn't just coloring the truth. It was a lie. 
And I started confessing. Confessing to God, confessing to myself, confessing to Laurel, and confessing to a whole list of other people whom I had lied to in the process of trying to be somebody that I wasn't. And in the middle of that whole deal, God started doing some cool stuff. Started giving me an identity that came from him, not one that I had earned. He started healing dark and hidden places. He started pulling secrets out of the shadows. He, he started blessing when I told the truth. And eventually in his good grace, he put our relationship back together again, not based on my lives, but on the truth of Jesus. And I married that girl, June the 10th, 1989. It'll be 20 years come this June. And every time I see her and remember this, I thank God for the fact that she was Jesus for me that day. Because guess what, friends? We all have stuff we need to confess. We all have trinkets that we've turned our faith into. And Jesus, with every right, could come to every one of us to say and say, you've sinned and you deserve hell. But instead, he says, you've got sin, all right. But for some crazy reason, I still love you. We're going to walk through some heavy water next four weeks, I promise you. Can I ask you to pray some things before uh, we dive into this? Would you ask God for the courage this week to keep your eye on your own sin and leave everybody else's out of it? Would you, uh, would you pray that if somewhere along this last 27 minutes you've thought to yourself, actually, I don't even think I need this because I think I've actually arrived. Would you pray that God humbles you? Because I'm going to tell you something. If confession doesn't bring you to the foot of the cross in repentance and sorrow, then you ended up, you've arrived in the wrong spot. And maybe you need to confess your pride. My prayer is that we would not do this like a set of checklists. And I'm going to promise you, we're going to go after some of the hard ones. It's actually fairly easy to confess lying, especially when you've been caught. It's a little harder to confess how you judge your neighbor or your coworker. It's harder to judge when you've allowed yourself to become bitter over something somebody else did. It's harder to judge when the truth is you've become an angry person and you're the only one that doesn't know. So we're going to walk through this one together. Am I a little scared? Yeah, you have no idea. Because guess who gets to go first? <laughs> On roids, no less, right? Okay, that's scary. I believe God's got his fingers on this. This is another one of those series that I wanted to preach a long time ago and God said, I'll tell you when it's time. It's time. Would you pray with me this morning as we close?
God, I want to thank you for that moment of clarity that I had almost 23 years ago when you took a beautiful young lady and showed me a picture of Jesus. I thank you for her forgiveness, for her faithfulness, for how fair she was when she called it out. And uh, I thank you for the freedom that I have in my relationship with my wife to celebrate what it means to come clean. God, I pray for every person in this room that we would be deeply changed over this next couple of weeks. God, I thank you that your scripture is so unbelievably clear about why you want us to be able to do this well. So God, would you move us beyond grocery list confession? Would you move us beyond just simple covering so that we feel a little better at the end of the day? Would you help us to claim your promises? I thank you, God, that you've promised fairness and faithfulness, freedom. God, may all of the junk that gets left behind through our corporate confession, I pray that it would become a monument to your incredible grace and forgiveness. May we walk free as we confess to a loving God. And we pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.